Well, as we've been doing our 40 days of prayer um, journey, um, I've, uh, I've been wanting to supplement um, our daily writings uh, with sermons. Um, I wrote those 40 days of prayer uh, blogs uh, several years ago, and I tried to cover very practical aspects of, um, of our Christian life and how prayer um, enters into our experience of living in all of the different areas uh, that I've been uh, encouraging us to think about, whether it be praying for our church, for our families, for our nation. Um, we've got a, about two weeks left, and uh, I pray that we would finish strong and uh, that we would be able to enter into a time of celebration two weeks from tonight and uh, reflect upon that experience that we've had of praying for a breadth of uh, subjects uh, that we uh, as Christians have opportunity to live before God's throne. I've been captivated by Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 and the thought of praying for uh, those who are suffering for their faith is another subject that I think is worthy of our attention. And uh, as we think about that subject, I began last week uh, the first part of my series, and uh, I'll conclude it today, staying right in this passage of uh, chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians. Um, praying for believers who are suffering. Now, this subject, uh, suffering and pain in the world, uh, is something that um, has been a source of discussion in many different arenas uh, for quite a long time. Because uh, it's a natural question to try to reconcile this issue of Christians suffering and all the pain and suffering and, that comes in the light of a, of a Christian uh, in light of the fact that God is good and that God is loving and that God is in control. And this has caused a lot of people to, to really think hard about this whole area of Christian living. Um, Woody Allen, um, not a great theologian, um, but, but he said this, How do you expect me to believe in God when only last week I got my tongue caught in the roller of my electric typewriter? Now, he was being trite when he said that, but he was making a point. And the point is, is that people actually do think about this whole issue of pain and suffering and how do we reconcile that with an all-powerful, all-loving God. In fact, this really is the most serious critique of the Christian faith. But what I'm going to be suggesting today, based on the writings of the Apostle Paul, is that the way believers respond to pain and suffering when there's pushback from our world actually is a great evidence to support the existence of God. Because Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good courage, what? I have overcome the world. You see, Christianity is really the only worldview out there that has a satisfactory explanation of the existence of pain and suffering in the world. And Jesus himself on the cross experienced um, incredible pain and suffering for his faith. <laughs> Jesus, of course, is the founder of our faith. And so he experienced suffering because of who he was. 
And after the cross, we all know what happened. We've sung about it this morning. He rose from the dead. And thereby, he defeated the enemy of believers, which is death. And he put to shame, made a public spectacle of the one who was behind all suffering against Christians, the enemy. And because Jesus suffered, yet overcame suffering, we too can overcome suffering as we live and trust in him. And I think that's a great testimony to the existence of an all-powerful God who is in control of suffering, but yet a loving God who meets us in the midst of suffering and even helps us to overcome suffering. That's why last week I shared from the Apostle Paul's writing in 2 Thessalonians 1, that when believers are suffering for their faith, we can pray that God would nurture their faith in the midst of their suffering. Believers can face suffering and then overcome it by the power of God. And that demonstrates that he is sovereign over it, but yet that he still answers prayer. And this gives great credibility to our faith in God. Last week, we discussed the first section of this paragraph in 2 Thessalonians 1. Prayers based on Paul's prayers of thanksgiving. In verse 3, he says, we ought always to give thanks for you. And then he outlined for us how to pray for one another. Pray that their faith would grow. Pray that their love for one another would increase. Pray that they would persevere. And pray that they would rest in God's justice of future vindication for themselves and future judgment against their adversaries. These are all prayers for people who are suffering because of their faith. Prayers for their faith to be nurtured in the midst of their suffering. And so we explored the possibility, is that really happening to us as Americans? And I want to share with you last week a wonderful discussion that we had in cross-training where we talked about there is a group of people living in three lakes who every day experience pushed back from the culture because of their faith. And that's our teenagers. Imagine the challenge of our teenagers living in a teenage culture that promotes all types of party scene, viewing pornography on their smartphones, promiscuity and dating, taking self-centeredness, uh, experimenting with all types of chemicals, Think of the pushback that these young people have if they say, no, I'm a Christian. And that's not the way God would have me to live. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray for our teenagers as they stand for Jesus. We need to pray these prayers for them, that their faith would grow. We need to pray that their love for one another would increase, that they would support one another. We need to pray that they would persevere and to always be thinking to the future, that there will be a day when God will come to their aid and he will vindicate their faith and that he will bring justice against those who stand against them. This week, I'd like to discuss some additional prayers that the Apostle Paul gives us to pray for people who are suffering for their faith. And that's found in verses 11 and 12 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. He continues to pray, but he gives them a much different perspective as we pray for them. 
Let's read verses 11 and 12. With this in mind, pointing back to the prayers that we just prayed for those who are suffering. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. Now he's got another area of prayer that he wants to give to the people that in Thessalonica are taking a stand, like we trusting our teenagers are taking a stand for their faith. Here's what he prays. I pray that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these are still prayers that their faith would be nurtured in the midst of suffering, as we discussed last week. But now there's a specific goal attached to this prayer. There's a specific goal that those who are suffering need to keep in mind in order for them to prevail against their suffering. When believers are suffering for their faith, it's monumentally important that they have a goal in mind. That they, as they nurture their faith and as a goal for us as we pray for them. Um, there was a young woman back um, a generation ago named Florence Chadwick. Maybe some of you have heard of her. She's the first woman who swam across the English Channel. Well, she wanted to do a similar swim from the Catalina Island just off the coast of California to the mainland of California. So she trained for it, and the day came for her to embark on this monumental swim. The day was cold and misty and foggy, and she couldn't see much. And her coach and the, the boats that were alongside of her for, to protect her for her safety I would have to tell her, oh, you're swimming a little bit too much to the left or a little bit much to the right. Keep going straight. You're right. You're going. And she swam for 15 hours in cold and fog and rain. And finally... After 15 hours, she says, I can't take it anymore. My body is just pushed to the max. i got to get out of the water. They took her out of the water and began to go to the shore, and they discovered she was less than a half mile from the end of her swim. Afterwards, she was interviewed, and she said this, I really think I could have made it had I been able to see the shore. You see, as we pray for believers who are suffering for their faith, Paul models for us the importance of praying that they might see the shore. Praying that they would have a goal in mind as they experience pushback from their culture. And here's the shore. Verse 12. Pray that they would make much of God in the midst of their suffering. That's what Paul says. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Notice, so that. So that is the goal of Paul's prayers. So that Jesus would be glorified. Or, so that you might make much of God in the midst of your suffering. We must face the difficulties of suffering for our faith focused 
We must have a purpose. There must be a goal that keeps us coming. Making much of God is our shore. Prayer is not given to us that we might get stuff for ourselves or that even we would get stuff for other people. Prayer is given to us so that we might receive from God what he wants us to have in order that we might make much, not of his gifts, but that we would make much of him, the giver. God must be our goal. We must make much of him. And Paul makes this abundantly clear in verses 11 and 12. So it gives us two challenges. He prays that we would meet two challenges, and he prays for us to meet two challenges that will enable us to make much of God in the midst of suffering for our faith. First, from verse 11. Pray that God would make them worthy of their calling in the midst of his, their suffering. Pray that God would make them worthy of their calling. Here are people who are suffering for their faith. Extreme hardship in Thessalonica. They probably experienced difficulties getting a job. They might have gotten fired for their job. They're being persecuted by the Jews who, who think that Jesus is a charlatan. They're being, they're being called foolish by the secular people who are saying, why are you Christians so, so concerned about this Jesus? And in the midst of this pushback from the culture, Paul says, you know, in the midst of your suffering, I'm praying that you will live a life worthy of your calling. Now, he's not referring here to live in such a way as to deserve our call to salvation. He would never pray something like that. Because there is nothing that anyone can do to make themselves worthy of salvation. We all know that all of our attempts to make ourselves worthy of salvation fall short of God's standard. Rather, this is a prayer that they would live after they have come to Christ... A life that is worthy of reflection of the fact that they have already been called to salvation. And this call to live worthy of our salvation continues even in the midst of difficulty that comes for us when we stand with Jesus. This is a prayer that they would grow in Christian maturity this is a prayer that they would grow in character. It's a common theme in the Bible. Let me give you three verses that talk about this theme. And I'll read, first of all, Ephesians 4. This is what Paul says. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. This is like a direct, a direct quote from that, isn't it? Here's what he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's telling them how to nurture character. Even in the midst of their difficulties and sufferings. Same thing is said in Philippians 1.27 and Colossians 1.10. John MacArthur has uh, presented a summary of what he thinks it means to live a life 
worthy of your calling. Here's what he says. A worthy walk is a walk in humility, a walk in purity, a walk in contentment, a walk by faith, a walk in righteousness, a walk in unity, a walk in gentleness, a walk in strength, a walk in patience, a walk in love, a walk in joy, a walk in thankfulness, a walk in light, a walk in knowledge, a walk in wisdom, a walk in truth, and a walk in fruitfulness. Summing it up, if you say Christ and you are related, as it does in John, 1 John 2.6, then you ought to walk as he walked. Whoa. Oh, how we need to pray that way. Especially for those who are taking a stand for their faith. Suffering does not remove our call to grow in Christian maturity. Actually, suffering helps us grow in Christian maturity, doesn't it? Because suffering strips away all that stuff that is ancillary in life. And it purifies us like fire purifies fine gold. And when we grow in the midst of suffering, that makes much of God. Look at this picture I found. This is a picture of some type of a flower. It might even be a weed. (laughs) But I want you to notice, this flower stands out as something beautiful. And you know why? Because it's growing in the ash heap of molten lava. That molten lava is dirty, it's dry, it's uninhabitable by human beings, and yet there's this flower. It might even be a weed, but it's beautiful because it is growing in the midst of a hostile environment. See, that's what Paul is saying. If we can grow in character, if we can grow in maturity in the midst of a hostile environment of people pushing back against us, that makes much of God. And that's the goal for us as we live. Now, we might want to say, well, this suffering is tough. I don't know if I can do that. I want to encourage you with verse 11. Look what it says. Paul prays that God will make you worthy of your calling. You see, here's where God meets us in the midst of difficulty. I'm drawn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, which says, For it is God who works in you, and he will will and do according to his good pleasure. God will work within you. And then Paul's testimony in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone full and mature in Christ. Paul says, even when you're suffering, I'm praying for you that you will be mature in Christ. And then he says this. To this end, I extremely contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. God is involved in our lives, even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. So, brothers and sisters, this then is our prayer for those who are suffering for their faith. 
that God would work and accomplish a work of grace in their lives so that they would live in a manner that would make much of God, make them worthy of their salvation. And so that God would be the one who gets the glory. Paul gives us a second prayer in verse 11. And he continues with an elaboration on the first. And here's his second challenge for us. Pray that God would fulfill their desire for good works in the midst of their suffering. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me that not only do I have to grow on Christian character in the midst of this difficulty, but I've got to continue to do good works and to serve God when all I get is grief for serving God? Paul says, that's my challenge to you. Because if you can do that, you will make much of God. Let's look at verse 11. Fulfill. This word means to complete something that has already started. There are two parallel thoughts in verse 11. Fulfillment of every desire for goodness. Fulfillment of every deed prompted by faith. Evidently, these Thessalonians had already been doing that. And Paul says, fan the flames. Keep doing it. Increase in doing your good deeds, your desire for goodness, and every deed prompted by faith. I am totally convinced that true believers desire to serve others. Desiring good and serving others through deeds prompted by faith, that's just who we are. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. So, of course, if our faith is alive, we're going to want to serve people. Suffering for our faith does not snuff out the desire to serve God. We must remember that even when God calls us to suffer for our faith, or when God allows suffering in the lives of our lives to come for our faith. Our lives are not only suffering. The more we focus on the suffering, the more power we give it. <laughs> and so God says, don't focus on the suffering. Do good works. Serve others in the midst of your suffering. And when you do that, you will be making much of God. Back in the 1950s, and maybe all of you know this story, there were five missionaries who went to Ecuador in an effort to reach the Alca Indians. And they spent weeks and weeks and weeks trying to build bridges to these people. And finally the day came for these five men missionaries to attempt to contact this tribe in the jungles. And when they went there, they reached out to them and the tribespeople came and evidently did not understand what was trying to happen. And these tribespeople brutally murdered all five of these missionaries. What suffering these wives must have gone through. Standing for their faith, wanting to reach out to these people and give them the, non, the gospel message, yet they were murdered and martyred for their faith. 
And what Paul says here in this verse is continue to fan the flames even in the midst of suffering. So Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim, one of the missionaries who was murdered, went back to the people that murdered her husband, shared the gospel with them. Dozens were gloriously saved, including the one who killed her husband. You talk about making much of God. (laughs) See, that's what Paul is praying for us. He's praying that even in the midst of our suffering, we would continue to serve and continue to love those, even those who are causing our suffering and pain. Jesus himself, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. So as I conclude my two-part series on this passage, I want to give us two practical suggestions for us to apply. First, we must stand in prayer with our brothers and sisters across the globe who are suffering for their faith. We must stand in prayer with them. On a sunny day last May, several families in Egypt climbed onto a couple of buses, happily looking forward to visiting a monastery from their group. They never made it. Instead, instead, half of them including ten children, were slaughtered. The bus was stopped by Islamic terrorists dressed in military fatigues. They were ordered off the the bus, and as eyewitnesses later said, each pilgrim came off the bus and was asked to renounce their Christian faith and affirm Islam. When they refused, they were murdered. Twenty-nine. For their faith. In Pakistan, a Christian pastor was sentenced to life in prison and tortured for blasphemy for preaching the gospel. In North Korea, entire families are thrown into labor camps, extreme suffering, starvation, and torture. Last year in Turkey, maybe you heard of Andrew Brunson, locked up on the absurd grounds that he was a terrorist. He's a Christian pastor. Islamists have swept through Niger, setting fire to Christian churches, orphanages, schools, homes. We must stand with our brothers and sisters who are suffering for their faith. We must pray for them, as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. But I want to suggest number two. Suffering for our faith does not make us victims. Now, I want to be careful when I say that because any time an innocent person of faith is ruthlessly abused by a bully, they are victims. But I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Christians who are suffering play the victim card. Quite the contrary. 
The attitude Paul is praying for reveals something much different than the weakness of victimization. He prays that we might have a goal to make much of God in the midst of our suffering. When Peter and John were arrested, recorded in Acts chapter 4, do you know what the response of the church was? God, give us boldness. That's the response. A short while later, as recorded in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested again. This time they were beaten and flogged before they were released. And you know what they did? They rejoiced for the privilege of suffering for Jesus and further resolved to preach Jesus with more vigor than before. In hostile countries all over the world, there is a similar attitude among those who are suffering for their faith. As we pray for them, pray not only that their faith would be nurtured, but also that they would make much of God in the midst of their suffering. And as people all over the globe are doing this, I suggest to you that this sounds like an awful lot like the answer to the Apostle Paul's prayers, doesn't it? Elizabeth Elliot is an answer to Paul's prayer. There is a resolve to make much of God in the midst of suffering. And may that resolve be ours should we ever have that same calling. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, this is so hard because so many of us have so many comforts. And how do we have the audacity to pray for others that that they would that they would flourish in the midst of their suffering. I want to pray that they would take their suffering away. Actually, Lord, I, I do pray that. But it seems clear all the way from all the way from the story of Joseph to the story of Jesus, the disciples, the Apostle Paul. You do your best work in the midst of suffering. So I pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who are suffering unimaginable pain, torture for you. I pray for our teenagers in Three Lakes as they take a stand for Jesus at school that you would nurture their faith and that you would give them a resolve to make much of God in their Christian testimony. That you would give them the ability to live a life worthy of their call to be Christians. And that you would help them to continue to fan the flames of love and good deeds to their classmates. And thereby make much of you. Pray for Pastor Ian and Cammy as they lead our teenagers. Give them a rock-solid model of how to do this and 
And may they lead our teenagers in a resolve to keep you the goal. Lord, others of us who may be experiencing pushback from people in our company make fun of us. That push back when we talk about standing for you and biblical ethics and morality. God, rescue us from from playing the victim card. That doesn't honor you. What honors you is that we make much of you in the midst of our difficulties. May we receive inspiration from the Lord Jesus himself. And may we know that the Apostle Paul was praying for us. May we pray one for another to the similar end. That we may make much of you in whatever calling you give to us in this life. For Jesus' sake and by his grace we pray. Amen.